Welcome to PageCast's holiday season. This December, we're looking back and reflecting on all the incredible books published in 2022. We've asked a few special guests to review their top pick for the year and to give us a taste of what they'll be reading this holiday and in the new year. We hope you enjoy this episode of PageCast's Books in Review for 2022. Well, hi there. It's lovely to be here, and I'm very honoured to be invited to be part of PageCast in Review 2022. I'm Nancy Richards. I'm a freelance journalist, a media trainer, and I suppose with this particular conversation, I'm also the founder of Women's Zone and the Women's Library. So as you can imagine, books by, for, and about women are very much my thing, which brings me very straightly and neatly into my standout book for the year. Now, I, there's a disclaimer here. I was given the benefit of actually being able to talk to the author. So let me tell you, the book is called Simply Joan, and it's been written by Catherine J. Chen. And needless to say, it's about Joan of Arc. And when I got it, I thought, I'm not so sure. I'm not really so much into historical novels, but Joan of Arc, you know, hey, kind of know who she was. And I thought, well, let me give it a go. Having said that I'm not really much into historical novels, this book took me right back to the school days. We learned all about Joan of Arc. Well, I thought we'd learned all about Joan of Arc. We learned a little bit about Joan of Arc. She became St. Joan, as you probably know. She was also known as the Maid of Orleans. And she was, in my mind, she was this sort of slight white woman on the back of a white horse. And, you know, she had a bit of a sad life and it all ended rather badly quite early on in life. Oh, my goodness, was there so much more that I just had no idea. And I actually, when I spoke to Catherine, I said, if only I had had this book when we were at school, it just meant so much more. And I think that's often the case with historical novels. It's a sort of melding of the facts, whatever they may be, however they may have been recorded, with fiction and imagination, and it's fleshing out the bones. What I can tell you is, just in case you don't know very much about Joan of Arc, she was born around about 1412. She was a saint voice hearing, sword wielding, armor plated, short haired, which in the days, you know, back in those days, women didn't have short hair. To cut straight to the chase, she was in the Hundred Years' War between France and England, and she was finally burned at the stake at the age of about 19, which is to be cut down in her prime, I have to say. But the book is, it's so much more. And I'm actually astonished that Catherine J. Chen decided to write this book, because when I was Googling books about Joan of Arc, in France alone, there's something like 12,000. That's not to mention the plays and, and the paintings. I mean, if ever you had the opportunity to Google images of Joan of Arc, there are gazillions and they've been sort of put into categories of renaissance medieval at the stake a beautiful classic portrait she's just extraordinary so she's all of those things and a whole lot more so when I said to the lovely Catherine I said now how did you you know were you not daunted by the fact that there were so many of other books and she said actually she wasn't and she she allowed herself or she made herself read bits and pieces so It felt to me like she had harvested all sorts of bits and information about Joan of Arc and about the history of the time and about the colour of the time, the the feel of the time, the words of the time, the the food of the time, the armour. And she put all these pieces together and very cleverly wove it. It's very much like a tapestry, you know, those sort of medieval tapestries that were sort of dense and and thickly woven with all sorts of colours and little beetles and creatures all over the place. But, you know, over and above the story of Joan of Arc herself, it's been very, you know, if I didn't know better, I would say that Catherine perhaps was a sort of a student of psychology because she's done a great deal to sort of flesh out 
not just the physical, the physical physicality, as they say in rugby terms, the physicality of Joan, but also her psyche, her mind, in what she says, what she doesn't say, her relationships with this dreadful, dreadful abusive father and her saintly, beautiful sister and her relationship with the Dauphin. So all these relationships are woven in as well. So you, you feel as if you, you feel as if you're growing with Joan. You know, she starts off as this feisty little stone throwing kitty with her brothers and then she grows and she just blooms and blossoms. Um, she grows very, very tall. And Catherine has painted her as a very strong statuesque young woman, as opposed to all the paintings and the images that we have of Joan of Arc, which are quite sort of wispy and, you know, sort of fey. Um, so there's there's a lot more than just the story, because, you know, when you think of her life, it's a very, very short life. And the thing about Joan of Arc is that she has been she's been sort of adopted by many French people one way or another, not just as St. Joan and patron saint of France, but by very many different organisations, not least, and having read this book, feminists, because although feminism wasn't even a word in those days, I mean, suffragette wasn't even a word in those days, you can feel the tension of, of how it was for her to be a woman when she was, she, I think at one point she says something to the effect of, um, God give me the strength, not of one man, not of 10 men, but of 50 men. And she, she's just very conscious of, of her strength and of her own power, which feels like it's been God given. Another thing that comes into the book, but you, you're not beaten over the head with it, is her faith, her faith in God, which is almost like, you know, she's not prayerful. I think um, it's her mother who spends her life in prayer and Joan says something to the effect of a life full of prayer is wasted because there's there's no action it's just prayer and um, so there's much to reflect on not least for people who are etymologists who are word lovers there's some wonderful words there's machiolations destissiae which is a, a type of horse gambeson sappers papaces misericordas there's a wealth of wonderful words and as I say, the style in which she's written it is intriguing because although she sort of paints the pictures, there's a whole lot that's left unsaid that you can superimpose your own conclusions on. So it's a really good book. I don't know how Catherine is going to follow this one. I did say to her, so, you know, you must have travelled, you must have gone to the battlefields and the chateaus and palaces and forests. Not a bit of it. She wrote it all sitting in her own little room. So her fertile imagination must have been working overtime. I don't know how she's going to follow this book, but I, for one, will make sure that I'm there on the receiving end of any books that she produces. So that's Catherine J. Chen. It's called Very Simply Joan, and a lovely, colourful book with a fleur-de-lis on it, so you can see Joan of Arc. So you don't have to be a history lover. In fact, in fact, rather don't be a history lover. One thing I just have to share with you, I did say to her what was her inspiration, what writers were her inspiration, and amongst others, uh, which were Agatha Christie, I think, and Jane Austen, she also highlighted Hilary Mantel. And she said it was Hilary Mantel who had inspired her to make sure that when you're writing about a room, you want the people to walk into the room and you want them to feel the air and smell the air and touch the walls and, and feel it all. And it's a very, very sensory book. She's done all that and more. I cannot speak of it too highly. I, I really so enjoyed it. But the book I'm looking forward to reading, it's called The Hyacinth Girl, subtitled T.S. Eliot's Hidden Muse. Well, 
anybody who studied T.S. Eliot will know that he was ah, he was quite sort of heavy going, would, would not be the right thing, but he was very key. He was iconic in, as a modernist poet, but he was not just a poet. He was a publisher. He was a critic. He was an essayist. He was hugely prolific, but he was sort of like a rock in the river in terms of how poetry developed back in those days. He was born, I think, in 1888 died in 65 or thereabout. But aside from his work, he was a bit of a lad because he had, he was married twice. He also had um, a prayerful woman who he loved in prayer. But his true, true, one true love or hidden love, can I say, was a lady by the name of Emily Hale. Emily was both an actor and a drama teacher and apparently her gift was her voice. But the gift that they gave one another was the gift of connection and they connected to one another through letters. She kept his letters and there was something like over 1,300 letters that she had received from him. Being a man, somehow he didn't manage to keep her letters, whether by neglect or design, but anyway, her letters to him have gone missing with the exception of about 18. So this body of letters, body of correspondence was kept and I think it was Eliot himself who said that he wanted them put away for 50 years and they, they were not to be seen. So those letters were were squirreled away in the archive in Princeton University. And Lyndall Gordon, who's a bit of a story in herself, Lyndall Gordon heard about these letters back in 1972. And she vowed then to herself that she would make sure that she would stay alive until such time as those letters were released. And there's a picture in the book of these letters in 13 boxes, sort of strung up with strong boxes that have been, um, you know, kept tightly, tightly closed until they were released. I think it was in 2020. And sure enough, Lyndall was there. And she, as she describes herself, open mouth, just waiting for these letters to come out. So the relationship that Elliot had with his hyacinth girl was extremely passionate. He may have been a man of words and a man of letters and, and a very private other books about him describe him as, as invisible, as inventive, as uh, imperfect. But he was clearly a man of great passion. And with the hyacinth girl, Emily Hale, he had and wrote about great passion. I think she was his muse. He kept her hidden for some reason, whoever knows why. But I cannot wait. It's a, it's a beautiful cover with the hyacinth girl herself in lilac there. I've only actually just allowed myself to read the preface, and that's where I read that Lyndall herself had decided that she was going to make sure that she stayed alive. Lyndall Gordon is, I cannot praise her highly enough, I've spoken to her a number of times about various other books, not least books about her own lives, um, shared lives, divided lives, she's written about herself. So I'm really, really looking, it's a big fat book, The High Sense Girl, but I can't tell you, I'm looking forward to it. So with that, with those many, many words about women's books, I wish you happy reading and thank you very much to PageCast in Review 2022. Thank you for inviting me and I look forward to listening to what more you have to offer. Blessings. Take care. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to this episode of PageCast. To make the holiday season that much better, we are giving away weekly book bundles of all the top picks. Follow us on Instagram at Jonathan Bull Publishers to find out more. From everyone at PageCast, happy holiday.